In 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, the Apostle Peter says, No prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation. He says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Among other things, the Apostle Peter is pointing to uh, theologically, what we would call divine inspiration, the inspiration of Holy Scripture. Uh, consider a man, uh, a woman, who in using and expressing their own gifts, their own creativity, they put paint to a canvas or words to lyric, words to music. And it's beautiful. The sound is beautiful. The image is beautiful. And we might say of them, uh, they were inspired. Or that was inspirational. Yet their expression, as beautiful as it might be, is simply an extraordinary display of human creativity. It's it's inspiration with a lowercase i. It's inspiration on a kind of human level. What we hear from Peter, there in 2 Peter 1, is different. What we hear from Peter in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of Scripture, is not a mere expression of human creativity. Rather, this inspiration is the Holy Spirit himself, God himself, God the Spirit, speaking to men and then through men to pen the very words of God. That's what he's communicating. It's not human origin. It's of divine origin. And as we continue this morning in Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the church there in Thessalonica, we see a church who not only recognizes the Word of God as being of divine origin from God Himself, but a people who recognize its supreme worth, its supreme worth, so that it is taking effect and having a transforming effect in their lives. So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, just four verses as we continue in this letter. Listen now to the Word of God. Paul writes, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Recall in the first half of this chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul was emphasizing how it is that he, along with Silas and Timothy, who helped established and found the church there in Thessalonica, how they engaged them in ministry, how they engaged them relationally. So Paul said earlier in the chapter, our coming to you was not in vain. We declare to you with boldness the gospel of God amidst much conflict. He says we didn't come with words or flattery or with a, a motive of greed or to please man. We came to please God. And we came with gentleness, like a nursing mother with her children, like a father exhorting and encouraging his children. 
So this is how they engaged these people, engaged the Thessalonian church in ministry and in relationship. But here in our text, Paul transitions from how it is they engaged these people, this church, to how they received their ministry. And a particular focus and emphasis is how they responded to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And that's what we see there in verse 13. He says, We also thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. John Calvin, in his comments on this passage, this verse, says the expression, the word of the message of God, means simply the word of God preached by man. The word of God preached by man. Paul says, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. We, we preached this to you. We taught you the word. Paul's words here might uh, raise the question in some minds, well, well what is preaching? And what is effective preaching that it would take such root in their hearts and have a transforming effect? What methodology constitutes the effective communication of God's word? That's what he's speaking about. We we delivered the word to you, and you received it, and it had effect. Uh, You could go into my office or any uh, pastor's office. Uh, Perhaps some of you uh, have books on preaching. I have a few uh, dozen in my office Uh, Some classical books, Um, Edmund Clowney, his book, Preaching Christ in All of Scripture. Haddon Robinson, uh, Biblical Preaching, The Development and Delivery of Expository Messages. Uh, Yet among those books, I don't believe I have one on how to listen effectively to the preached word. How to prepare to hear and receive God's word. A lot has been written on preaching. Very little on how to hear. The receiving end. A person can go and earn an advanced degree in speech. A person can get a PhD in homiletics or preaching from a seminary or a Christian university. I'm not aware of a PhD in listening or hearing. Yet we all know that a great part of what makes the word effective is not only God's work in the proclamation of the word, but his work in the hearts of those who would receive his word. That's at the heart of what Jesus is communicating in the parable of the sower, which we heard read earlier. There in Matthew 13, perhaps the most well-known parable that Jesus gave. There in that parable, he mentions a sower, God, through his apostles, prophets, preachers, went out to sow seed. It's the word of God, the word of the gospel. And the seed was spread generously, we know, in that parable. Uh, This sower is not stingy. He is generous. The seed falls and lands in all kinds of places, among the thorns, bushes, along pathways, among rocks and stones. But it's only in the good soil that the seed fell upon, that it took root and bore much fruit. So one of the necessary conditions for the seed of the word of God to take root and to begin bearing fruit is the kind of soil or the kind of heart that it falls upon. If I were to hand out after worship seeds 
to you, cucumber seed, lettuce seed, various kinds of seed. And I said, I want you to go and plant these seeds all around our church property after you've received permission from the deacons, of course. They might not like this idea. But what would likely be your highest priority? Location. It would be the location. And the preparation of that location, the preparation of what, where you're going to plant that seed. And Paul here is expressing thanks to God for how it is these believers receive the seed of the word of God. So the manner, the attitude which one has in receiving the word, whether it's sitting under the preaching of God's word on a Sunday morning or evening in our own private devotional lives as we open up the scriptures in a discipleship gathering, that question of the manner in which we receive the word was important enough to the Westminster divines in our confession that they wrote about it. Uh, In question 160 of the larger catechism, they asked the question, what is required of those that hear the word? Answer, that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the word with faith, love, and readiness of mind. Receive it as the word of God. Meditate upon it and hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. I... I see a key principle that Paul's communicating here in verse 13. And it's this. For the word of God to be received rightly and effective in a person's life, that person must recognize two things. The word's divine origin and the word's supreme worth. It's divine origin and it's supreme worth. For it to take appropriate root... In whatever circumstance we are considering the word of God, both of those truths must be at play. The words divine origin and the words supreme worth. They need to be embraced. They work together. A person can believe in the truth, in the inspiration of God's word, and yet that word have little to no effect in their life. In fact, we all know a person. Don't look around you. But we do know a person just like that. The devil. Demons. Remember James chapter 2? James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and yet they shudder. The demons recognize the inspiration of Scripture, but they reject its value. They do not see and recognize its supreme worth. They desire something else, and so it does not sink in. It does not then have effect. And yet Paul here is expressing thanks that these believers received the word, not as originating from man, but from God, and they recognized its supreme value, which is why, in part, it had great effect. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this. Recall back in chapter 1, verse 2, when he opened the letter, he began to express thanks. We we give thanks for you, remembering your faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Here he picks up again this theme of thanksgiving. We give thanks also that when you received the word that you heard from us, you received it not as words of men, but as the word of God at work in you believers. And Paul knew these believers accepted the word as from God and that which is of supreme worth because, as he says, it was at work. It was at work in them. 
This word which is at work in you believers. So they were consuming it. They were receiving it like food entering the body and having effect in a person's life. In a sense, becoming a part of them. The word is like seed. It contains a power. In fact, when Paul says this word is at work in you believers, that word for work is from the Greek energeo, where we get the word uh, energize. It is at work. It has energy. If the word gets into the soil of the heart, its potential power will produce fruit. And, And both Paul and later from Timothy's report bore witness of the transforming effect of the word in their lives. And it would be good for us to consider what role the word of God is playing in our lives. I think that there are uh, two matters to consider regarding the role of the word in us, in our lives. One is a practical matter. The other is a spiritual one. Practically, how am I putting myself in a position daily, weekly, where the word of God, whether it's sitting under the preaching of the word, memorizing verses in the scriptures, or reading and meditating upon the word, how am I putting myself in a position where the word will take effect? When do I read the word? Where do I consider the word? How are you reflecting on it in the course of your life? If those kinds of things don't happen, it's like the seed that fell upon the thorns. The cares of the world, the other voices and words from the culture, on news outlets, social media, they choke the word's potential. The life of the word in a person gets choked out if other voices take priority or if there's no space in the heart for it. So there's a very practical matter. And and I will tell you on a personal level, not only for myself, but something I've seen as a challenge for others, is the the pull, even the temptation to give more of my heart's energy to the reading of other books than to the book of God, than to the word of God. There's some wonderful books, many books that we could read, helpful books, biographies, church history, theology, classics, contemporary issues. But there is no book or word that ought to occupy the soil of my heart like the word of God. In one of the works of um, John Wesley, he writes this. It's provided in your insert. I've thought I am a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I'm a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. And then he has a Latin phrase. Let me be, let me be homo unius libri, a man of one book. 
that that would be the priority in my life. There's a practical issue of how we are positioning ourselves that the word would have effect. But it leads to the the perhaps greater issue, the spiritual one. Paul's expression of thanks for these believers was not only because they were committed to the word or because they received the word as from God. They desired it because they saw its supreme worth. Sometimes the greater issue is simply the issue of desire. I'm simply not hungering or thirsting to hear God speak from his word. And and one of the reasons that desire can wane is due to something that the Puritan William Bridge points out. He says this, if we're only filled by what he calls the comings in of the word, by which he means just particular things in the word, particular promises or particular truths within God's word, rather than fulfillment by a hunger for the word itself, then our hunger and fulfillment is going to come and go. It's like opening the word and you read it and, and, and perhaps you felt like you, you didn't get much out of it. That's the sort of comings in and the going out that happens. But, but if I'm desiring for the word itself because it is the word of God, it's an extension of God himself, his character, then, then that will fulfill much more. Give me a desire for the word itself, O Lord. And we have need of his word. We, we know we have a, a storm, to whatever degree, coming. And uh, when there is a storm, whether it's a hurricane or a winter storm, what do people do? They stock up. They fill their tanks. They ready their generators. They purchase additional food. They're all uh, preparing themselves. Well, we face a storm each and every day. The rains and winds of sin, the evil ones scheming, the spiritual forces of darkness. And the Lord has supplied his word that we would have a lamp, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And we see here how powerful the word and the gospel became to the Thessalonians. Paul says that it was at work in them in verse 13. But notice what occurs as a a result of the word's effect. He says, for you became imitators of the churches of God in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and drove us out. Uh, Paul is saying that the first churches established in Judea, in in Jerusalem, they faced persecution from the Jews. And the word for Jews there can refer to Jewish religious leaders and those who are under their influence. So like Christ who suffered and was crucified at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, so the Judean churches willingly suffered amidst opposition. And Paul is saying, you have followed in the pattern of persecution of those churches. So they were in a sense uh, the offspring of the Judean churches, bearing the traits of their parents. And significant for us to see is that the word of God and the gospel of Christ is not merely information to be studied. It's an offer to a life of transformation. That is the effect that it had in these believers. So much so that they were willing to endure suffering. 
whatever the cost, to promote the kingship of Jesus Christ and his glory and his fame, not because they thought it was merely a good idea. It was the truth. The word had gotten in to their heart and into their life. So here in a day and age in which all around us, so many voices, so many words, if you will, are vying for our minds and our hearts' attention, our hearts' affection. Make the word of God, make the word of Christ what is getting your greatest attention. For this word points us to the eternal word, the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have life forevermore. Let's pray together. O Lord, how we praise you for the richness of your word and for indeed your spirit working in us, drawing us near, feeding upon your word. And we pray, O Lord, like the Thessalonians, that your word would be at work in us. May we be built up by your word, convicted by your word, that, that, that our minds would be renewed by your word. In all of these things, Lord, Call us, uh, move us to examine our own hearts that we would be receptive to uh, your ongoing ministry by your spirit and indeed by your word. We praise you that you have spoken to us, that you have not only revealed yourself in your word, but you have preserved it uh, down through the ages. Lord, that we can feed upon it, be nourished by it. Give our hearts and minds attention to that. By your grace, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.